Cody talks about Warren Jeffs. He said, Warren should have been stopped by his own people because all that's necessary for the prosperity of evil is for good men to do nothing. Yes. Well, what did that make you, how does so that make you feel? Babe? Honestly, when he was talking about this, it made me a little angry and let me explain why. Because he, well, obviously I was raised in the FLDS church. And when he says, I disagree about, I disagree with Warren, he's this awful guy, he belongs in prison. Okay, right, I'm with you there, Cody. But then when he goes to talk about things about the members and how they don't want to be associated or people think that they are a part of the FLDS and that the, and he kind of paints the FLDS as a whole in this awful light. But the people, the FLDS people, believe in the exact same things that Cody believes in and they are simply trying to live the best life they can, right? And there were men that tried to stand up against Warren Jeffs. There were. There were men that tried, they failed, they tried again, they failed. Guess what? There were more people that believed in Warren Jeffs that had a strong testimony that didn't believe or know that he was doing these awful things we know about now. He was keeping a lot of things secret from us. But in a meeting, he was talking as if he was talking for God. And we believed him. We believed he was a man of God. We didn't know that he was doing some of these things. And for some of the men and women that did see some of these things and tried to stand up against him, because he had so many followers, they just, they were kicked out. There wasn't enough people at one time to overthrow him. So for those that tried, they were just forced out of the community. They were no longer accepted by Warren, no longer accepted by the church, and no longer accepted by their families because their families still believed in Warren Jeffs at the time. So to try to say, oh, that the people should I can't believe it. that the people didn't stop Warren Jeffs. You know, it just, it made me angry. I'd like to have a little powwow with Cody about that comment. Welcome back everyone. My name is Sam. And I'm Melissa. I grew up in the FLDS community. It is a polygamous group run by Warren Jeffs and I moved out when I was 18 years old. I was raised LDS. Sam and I have been married for nine years and have two awesome kiddos. Yes, we do. If you are interested in just listening today, we do have our podcast available as well. And please don't forget to like and subscribe. Today we are covering season three of Sister Wives. Our fresh eyes on Sister Wives. Yes. And... Oh my gosh, I have so many notes, like more than any other season that we've done, more than any other episodes. This was crazy, and we're really excited to talk about it because pretty much this whole season, I mean, it starts with Robin's pregnancy announcement to the birth of the baby. And in between, in those nine months, there's so much talk about their religious beliefs yeah. and about what they think, how they feel, finding religious youth groups, all this stuff. And we're like, this is so meant for us. Yeah, I can't believe I'm saying this about Sister Wives, but season three was gold. I mean, it had, <laughs> it had a lot of really good moments where we both had to pause and talk about what was going on. And we actually really enjoyed the fact that they showed so many different aspects of their religious beliefs in this that really got us thinking a little bit more about where they're coming from spiritually as the Brown family. And obviously you all know that that is part of it that we are kind of more reacting to when it comes to sister wives is the religious aspect, them growing up in polygamy, the Brown's polygamy versus Sam's growing up in polygamy, their views on the LDS church versus how I grew up in the LDS yeah. church since Cody was raised LDS and obviously their polygamy has very close ties to mainstream Mormonism. So 
we were really excited for this episode, yeah. and as we're watching season three, we're like, okay, they this even is going to be so up, fun to talk about. They brought up multiple times in season three their opinions about the FLDS, which oh, yeah. is something else that uh, I thought was very interesting, and I'm very happy they finally talked about it. So, getting into it, again, Robin's announcing her pregnancy, and then pretty close after there, they're talking about having a church at their house, because we had mentioned this in our last episode. In Utah, the AUB is like a very small, a lot of the polygamous communities in Utah are very, very small. Yep. There is one congregation. You can't go to another state and just go look that up, which is different than the mainstream LDS. You can go anywhere in the world and I can look up a congregation for me to go and meet with. With AUB, it's not the same. So for them to move to Las Vegas, they can't just find a community of like-minded people there. Yeah. So they started having church at home, which is really common with smaller communities. You even had church, a lot of your church was at home, right? Right. Well, so where, when I grew up in the FLDS, the what we called Sunday school, which is so different from what you would consider... I don't know. In the, in the mainstream LDS church, their meetings were very different from the meetings we had growing up in the FLDS. Let's just throw that out there. But we always had Sunday school in our home. And that was the Sunday morning meeting. And during Sunday school, the father of the home would direct and would be in charge of that. We would also invite multiple other families over, sometimes of our extended families. And they could come over and join in on that. There would be singing. There would be scripture study and lessons and things like that. That was also the time when we partook of the sacrament. So oh, the bread and the water is what we did. Bread and water. And you'll hear me talk multiple times. You've probably heard me before talk about the sharing of the, the water cup. That was something that we did in our home where we would break bread, partake of the, the, the blessing on the bread and water, and then the, the eating of the bread. And then there was one cup of water that we would all drink out of. And I just, I remember as a young boy watching each person like a hawk as they were <laughs> drinking out of this water and sometimes I was always hoping that the little kids didn't get to it before me you know the little kids with the this not running down their nose and that <laughs> and, and backwash in the backwash but anyway so that was something that I experienced that in our home after that, from 2 to 4 in the afternoon, we had what we call the general session or the, the, meet, the main meeting of Sunday. And that was at the meeting house there in Short Creek. And we would go and that's where we would hear the, the leaders, the prophet, all of them speak. And that wasn't, that wasn't anything more than just sitting in your seat, kind of like sacrament meeting in the mainstream LDS church where you just sat there and listened to people uh, speak, really, is what it was all about. Yeah, in the mainstream LDS, for all of my growing up, and it's changed since COVID, um, they changed where there's only two hours of church mm -hmm. and then a third hour where you're supposed to be doing a lesson at home. So that's way different than the way that I grew up. I grew up, it was three hour, a three-hour block, and you had sacrament meeting for one hour where people were talking, you partook of the sacrament, it was blessed and broken, all that right there. And then you had Sunday school, and then you also had, based on um, like young women's, young men, Relief Society or Elders Quorum or Primary for the younger kids. So there were specific classes that Sunday school you were learning from like a certain set of scriptures every year would change. Whereas like primary was a group, we do singing time. Um, I taught, I was a primary chorister, meaning I was in charge of the singing time for the kids for like four years <laughs> of our marriage. And so you do like singing time and like group lessons. 
and young women's it was more about like different like standards and purity and those type of things not like straight obviously they were all lessons from the scriptures and church teachings but it was more about like church doctrine and standards than what it was straight from the scriptures like Sunday school was so you had three hours of meetings every Sunday yeah. and then you didn't have anything on Sunday that was required in the home yeah until yeah. like until COVID. COVID until COVID and then yeah. they switched it and then they said okay you know teacher family these lessons at home they're shortened church down to two hours yeah but so when i saw the brown family meeting together in their home to me that just seemed so normal it was it was something that i grew up with i thought oh yeah the the father up there speaking to his family teaching a lesson seeing all of the family sitting in rows of chairs that they had set up i was i felt almost right at home in that moment so you know, and that was something that I, I had to pause and say, whoa, this, this looks familiar. So interesting to see that they were, that's how they did it. The Browns were talking about as teenagers, it was getting harder for them to like want to go to church, even just being in the house. Mm -hmm. How did it feel as a teenager doing church at home when you were growing up? You know, up? as, as good of a boy and as spiritual as I considered myself as a young age, at a young age, I don't know if this is every teenager or any young child. I never really wanted to go to church. I felt that I had to and that I might be smitten by lightning if I chose not to. So, you know, it was one of those things that I felt like I, I had to do and that it was what was right for me. But I don't know if any teenager really wants to go. I was weird. I did. You did. Okay. Good. I was, I'd Good say I know. was more like um, Mariah, how she keeps talking about like the fact that she was super involved with the youth groups and she mm. super wanted to stay in Utah so she could be a part of her church group. Also, sorry, I just want to clarify too, because we've had people say like, please don't refer to her as Mariah. Um, I know that now she goes by Leon and identifies that way. We're going to stay true to how she was referred to in this season. season three. And we don't mind growing with them through that process. And in later seasons, as they go by Leon, we're more than happy to do that. But here in season three, where they refer to her as Mariah and as she, her, we're going to stick true to what this current season is. So it's not disrespecting who they become in the future, but just trying to stay true to the, who they were at this moment, yeah. just so you know. Anyway, so as Mariah is talking about how she is with it all. I'm like, okay, no, that was me. I was like excited to go to Young Women's and excited to go to church. And I was like well, this social you. aspect in the community, but I was like very much, um, they would have called me a Molly Mormon, mm -hmm. that you like all the rules. You like the construct that that gives you the safety and security of all the rules and like knowing that you can do things just right. Like having that that feeling of if I do, if I have a checklist, I'm very big on checklists, even now. Yeah. And our daughter's kind of the same. She's season. taking after her. Yeah. yeah. She, she likes her checklist. I like checklists, right? And yeah. so church to me was like a checklist. Like I could, oh, I went here, I went here, I went here. Therefore, I am good. And a lot of, a lot of, uh, really religious people that I know of like that, where they, they can say, okay, I did what I'm supposed to do. Therefore, I'm good. You know, and, and it just gives you that, that, sigh of relief that confidence that you are good in the eyes of god and you can 
continue, you know, living your life and not be in fear that you're not going to return to him. Right? Yeah. Is that kind of how you yeah, felt? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah if it's a checklist, it's very clear and concise. And I liked that. Mm -hmm. But speaking of youth groups, did you guys have youth groups that you met with regularly? Because the Browns, so they went and met with a Presbyterian church mm -hmm. because they were talking about the fact that their kids weren't having that youth group community yeah. and they wanted somewhere for their kids. And it was very like this big divide of whether or not, you know, leading them to another church's youth group, was that going to lead them astray? Like, were they going to end up becoming close to that church or wanting to join that church instead of the faith they believe? And they divided the wives like 50-50. Oh, yeah. We got Mary and Janelle over here saying, you know what, I think, I mean, as long as the values are similar, I think, I think they're good. And then you have Robin and Christine saying, whoa, hello. And this is this would be more similar to the way I was raised, that... You know, just because it's another church that believes in Christ does not make them right. That's mm -hmm. that's the way I was raised. So you have to keep them within the truth, the only truth, or else they're going to be led astray and possibly want to join, you know, heaven forbid, a different, a, church. A different church. And so that's very unique, <laughs> I know, to a lot of Christians because I've talked to a lot of Christians that talk about, you know, as long as they're going to church, they find a congregation that works for them and it's a Christian congregation, then they're okay. And that's just not the way we were raised. Oh, absolutely not. No, when Christine said, that's like feeding your kids to the sharks over here. And I was mm -hmm. like, yeah, that's totally how I was raised. Like, you wouldn't, you wouldn't go and try to be a part of like a different church youth group. As a matter of fact, in Utah, the boys did Boy Scouts and that was like a church calling that people would get to be a Boy Scout leader and it was very tied with the church like this. Yeah. And I remember my brothers having a hard time in our Boy Scout group and so they went to Boy Scouts that was just through another church or a Christian group oh. and they did that for a little while and then they ended up stopping. And I don't, I'm not saying that it was because of the religious aspect, but I know that it was like, it felt a lot different than when they were going to Boy Scouts with the Mormon boys and then the Boy Scouts with the, it was like night and day difference. Mm -hmm. and my parents could see it and they thought, well, Boy Scouts should be the same across the board, so it shouldn't matter. But it was definitely a big, it was a big difference. Oh, yeah. Them. So, and I can to relate to that, you know, with my own experience coming from the FLDS and then joining the mainstream LDS church. Coming to the sharks? Coming to the sharks, yeah. <laughs> I remember my first experience going into an LDS church and just how off it felt right and not 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 saying bad i just when you're raised to believe something and this is what you're familiar with was it christine that said this just isn't our church yeah. i can't get behind this it's just not it our just doesn't feel right belief because it doesn't feel right it's not what we believe and we know christine is royalty in the religion she came from and so you know her feelings are probably very strong towards that specific belief and that's how i was you know I'm not saying i was royalty maybe a little bit but i'm not saying that that i was royalty but just because i was raised a certain way to believe that this is the only truth and you should not be looking elsewhere that was just a very interesting experience at first yeah one thing i did want to note too that i was like i wonder if a lot of people probably don't realize this but within mormonism crosses are basically a no-go like you don't use crosses you don't wear crosses you don't have crosses in your home which in all other christian faiths are like a very big symbolic it's a very big symbol of being Christian. And I think a lot of times the uncomfortable feeling, at least growing up Mormon, like if you go into a different church and there's crosses, it makes you uncomfortable. Right. It was almost 
looked at as a bad thing. And right? as, yeah, and as they walked into the Presbyterian church, you know, if someone goes from a Catholic church and they see crosses and they go into the Presbyterian, I'm not saying there's not differences. I know there's huge differences, probably especially between Catholics and Presbyterians. But overall, you're going to have a lot more similarities between other Christian churches and the same symbolism and those type of things mm -hmm. than you are if you walk into a Mormon church. It's going to feel and look a lot different. And so when, when I saw them go into the Presbyterian and there's like a big cross behind the pastor's desk, I was like, I don't think anybody would probably realize that that makes Mormons very uncomfortable because we were specifically, and I want to hear your input on what you were taught about crosses, but I was taught that we don't focus on Christ's death because it was his resurrection. So the atonement happened in the Garden of Gethsemane and the resurrection was the important part that we were supposed to look at, not the suffering on the cross. Which, before anyone comes out in the comments, I understand how different that is. That's why I wanted to mention it, because it is a huge difference. Yeah. But because of that, we were taught, you know, don't wear crosses, don't have crosses in your home. We don't use that as a symbol of our Christianity. And so, again, I think them walking into a church that had a lot of crosses, I guarantee was a part of Christine's discomfort. Uh, oh, what were yeah, you talking about? Crosses? 100%. Crosses, uh, similar. I wonder if it was an early day uh, Mormon leader that talked about that because we, it was the same for us. We were not it's allowed. Been for a long time. Right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> where I came from, we weren't allowed to wear any jewelry, whether it was a cross or whether it was whatever. My favorite truck, not allowed. So we weren't allowed to have jewelry. In fact, this might be something you, a lot of you don't know, but a lot of the men and women in the FLDS didn't even wear rings. Like no wedding ring. No wedding ring. In fact, I remember, especially when I saw a man in the FLDS wear a wedding ring, normally it was an old timer, you know, someone 160 years old. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, uh, someone that had been in the FLDS church and he was probably, I, I saw a few that were maybe in their 60s or 70s and I looked and I saw they had a ring on and it was really like weird to see a ring on especially a man sometimes you would see the, the rings on the on the wives yeah like a very simple one. but even then it wasn't required you know so rings even rings no jewelry even rings weren't always allowed and so but that wasn't really an option to like wear a cross but there definitely wasn't any crosses in the homes or in the church or any of that as well the, the crucifixion was definitely talked about and taught yeah. about a lot but it was just like you said we were supposed to focus on the resurrection and what big part that played for all of us instead of the actual death and crucifixion yeah and the garden of gethsemane right like i feel like that's where and the atonement in the yep but i think a lot of other christians talk about like the blood of christ being spilt on the cross Mm -hmm. was linked to the atonement within Mormonism. I was at least personally always taught that it was his blood in the garden of Gethsemane more than on the cross itself. Yeah. So interesting. Anyway, not to leave on like a totally crazy tangent there, but I just wanted to reiterate how weird it would be going into a Presbyterian church for them or why that would feel so different for them. You know, they talked to their kids about it. How do you feel about it? And some of them were like, well, if we're going to go to one, we might as well go to the Mormon mm -hmm. youth group. Um, but sometimes they're worried about being judged because of how much mainstream Mormonism does not want to be associated with polygamy, right? So if you have polygamous kids in your youth group, how does that look to outsiders? And a lot of like the optics comes up later in the season of, it's funny to me that they keep talking about how bad the Browns don't want to be associated with war and Jess, right? Mm -hmm. But it hurts that 
Mormons want to be so disassociated from them. And I'm like, really, each person, like they don't, they don't want to be associated with this one. This one doesn't want to be associated with the next. And they all have reasoning for that as to why they want to be separate. So yeah, and I have my opinions on that, which we'll get to later in, later on in the yeah. season about their thoughts towards the FLDS, definitely. Yeah. But they didn't really end up deciding like, okay, we're for sure going to go to these LDS youth groups. It kind of just fizzled out. I did think it was interesting. McKelty was saying that they didn't want to film church. She thought it was too sacred, too important. I did think it was cool that Cody was willing to listen to her and say, okay, I don't agree with you, but I understand. Let her stay mm -hmm. home. Yeah, I, I wonder, I was kind of with McKelty on this one. I thought that based on the way I was raised, I totally understood that, you know what, we probably shouldn't be filming something that's so sacred. That's kind of, that's definitely the way it was in the FLDS. And even in the LDS church, it seemed like that's kind of the way everyone was leaning is, especially in the temples and even in church meetings. I don't, I don't recall people filming in like sacrament meeting. See, I felt a little differently because I was thinking we film and broadcast our general conference. Oh, that's a good point. General conference. Two times every year. Mm -hmm. And then when people would be sick, they were allowed to record it. And then as like things, even in more recent times with COVID and stuff and their live streaming, feel like the mainstream LDS church kind of went along with times. And as things were available to be streamed and to be recorded more, I feel like it was allowed. So definitely mm -hmm. not in the temples, like you said. But when I saw them recording, I wouldn't have thought of it as disrespectful because I'd seen that enough within my being raised that there was special circumstances where it was okay. Right. And I feel like the mainstream LDS church also does a lot of like, there's a lot of publicity. I don't want to call it marketing, but of, Oh, here we are. We're not as different as you. So if there's an opportunity to like share your faith, I don't think they would be opposed to having it be broadcast or anything at all. Mm -hmm. So I didn't yeah, feel like it, a, but you're right in yours. It's an been. interesting dynamic there though, because you have this, the, some people in the mainstream LDS church that talk about, you know, share whatever you can with the world, get it out yeah. there. And then you have other people that especially in sacrament meeting talk about how this is my personal time with the Lord and savior. This is my very intimate time. I don't want this to be shared. This is between me and him. Right. Yeah. So I, I guess I can kind of understand both points of view when it comes to that. It was interesting. The kids were talking, they had the, the talk about dating and kissing and all those type of standards. And that made me chuckle. It felt very much like the LDS. Like they don't really want you to date till you're 16. Definitely no intimacy. I did think it was interesting. Cody said at least till you're 18, but I would prefer if it wasn't until you were married. And I was like, Oh, it wasn't a preference how I grew up. It was absolutely not until you were married. Right. I mean, kissing was okay, but there was a lot of emphasis on like, they'd always call it heavy petting. No heavy petting. <laughs> and I remember at like 12 years old being like, what is heavy petting? Like yeah. I did not understand, but they would always use those terms, like really old fashioned terms yeah. um, to try to describe what you were and weren't allowed to do. But every Sunday school teacher, every young woman's teacher, no one wanted to talk about like where the line was. So everyone hated those lessons and they just tried to avoid it. So they'd be like, no heavy petting and be careful with kissing because it leads to other things. So but soft, just remember, so soft, soft petting, soft I guess. Petting, okay. <laughs> but no, it was just funny because it just reminded me so much of the way I was raised. I had an incentive. My parents made a deal with me. Like if I didn't kiss till I was 16, then I got to go on a trip mm. and I'm all about that. Like bribing our kids for things <laughs> like that. Like <laughs> sign me up. I, I'm curious. Okay. <laughs> I'm curious what you, what everyone's opinion here is because 
you have some people that like the Browns, which by the way, I don't think that they are all that similar to the other members of the AUB church that they came from. Yeah, they don't seem as strict. Not at all. I mean, based on the fundamental beliefs that I've been taught and that I've heard other people from these other groups like the AUB and the Kingstons, of course, the FLDS, talk about, things are a lot more strict than that. Uh, yeah, no, no sex until you're 18 at least, and then preferred until you're married, right? Yeah. That kind of thing just wasn't an option. That wasn't an option. Even in the mainstream LDS church. No way. Not, not until you're married is the strict rule. So I have to appreciate, I'm wondering what your opinions here are, I have to appreciate that they are letting their kids choose. Like, if you don't want to belong in this church, that's okay. You can choose something else. But it almost makes it sound like that they aren't that convinced in their own belief. Yeah, it was a weird line because a little bit later they talked about that. Like, if my kids don't end up in this, I'll be really sad. So it feels like they're all a little torn between this idea of like, we really want you to do this and we're trying to teach them in a way that it'll naturally happen. But they were giving their kids so much encouragement to make their own choices in it mm -hmm. that unfortunately for them... I mean, they, all the kids were asked, and this was something I was going to bring up, all the kids were asked, like, oh, would you practice polygamy? Mariah was the only one who was like, oh, yes, I feel like it's for me. I, I want to do it. I want this. All the other older kids were like, I either don't want to think about it or no, absolutely Which, not. I, that's something I said to Melissa when they said that. I said, you know, that says something about whether or not the polygamous dynamic in the Brown family is good. If all of the children are saying, nah. I'd rather not. I don't say it's not for me. That's saying something, right? Yeah, I think the girls, the older girls, obviously Mariah feels differently, but it seems like she was much more involved with the church and the youth groups in Utah. But as far as everybody else goes, it definitely seems like they see the problems with it. One of them said when they were asked that, it just seems really, really hard. I don't want my life to be that hard, mm -hmm. right? So obviously their mothers don't hide the struggles, maybe as much as the mothers in the FLDS did that were keeping sweet. Mm -hmm. But it seems like they obviously know the issues. They know what's going on with the jealousies and all that. And they see it and that's not what they want for themselves. Right. But I do have to give respect to the parents for being so you can make your own choice. But that is, it did feel a little different than, like, when you're raised in the LDS, it was never like a, oh, as you grow up, if you wanted to be a part of this church or another church, that would be okay this. Absolutely not. It was, like, judgment would come down upon my parents' head if they did not raise us in righteousness, which meant within the church, and for us to continue on to be married in the temple, to continue on in the mainstream LDS church was the only option, or else it was like a failure, which was... So sad for parents. But that's why it's such a big deal and so heartbreaking and sad for parents. When their kids leave the church. When their kids leave the church because they feel that they have failed as parents if they cannot keep their children in that faith. And especially, and that's the mainstream LDS church. Normally, generally speaking, the fundamental Mormon churches are even more strict on those types of things. So that's why I, when I hear the Browns talking about the, yeah, no, they can do what they want, you know, they can choose. It's like, even some of them, Cody and Janelle, and I think one of the other ones possibly, no, not Christine. And Mary said that she was in the AUB. Anyway, at least Janelle and Cody came from the mainstream LDS church. And so I know for a fact that they were taught that this is the only way. So it seems that they aren't all that strict in their belief, or maybe they don't believe it 100%. Or maybe they were worried about the judgment of being on TV and seeming like they're forcing their kids into it. 
And so that's very that part's not filmed where they do tell their kids and they try to teach their kids that polygamy is the way, but they have to seem a little bit more lenient in order to not look bad on national television. Because if it looks like you're forcing your kids into polygamy, that can cause a whole other issue that the public can be okay with, okay, these all these adults consensually decided to practice polygamy and look, it's different than we thought. But if people feel like, you're raising your children and they have to be polygamists or else they're failing you. I feel like that would look, be yeah. looked down upon much more oh, in yeah. society. Yeah. I mean, who knows? Maybe it's part of the show. Maybe it's because they don't feel as strongly as other members of the church they came from. Yeah. And we know what all kind of happens in season 18. So, uh, but sticking with season three, it's surprising to see their lack of commitment to their own belief based on the way I was raised and how I assumed the rest of their congregation is in the AUB that they came from. Yeah. I'd say more of their, I had to think about that. I know that's harsh and I almost I feel bad saying it, but maybe, maybe more, I think more towards their commitment to their children following in their footsteps. Right. I feel like they seem committed in their own personal beliefs, but the idea of them like teaching their children and raising them up the way they were seems that, which I personally, like, personally from a not Scottish perspective, I think is great. I, like I said, I don't want kids 100%. to be forced into polygamy. Yep. But I agree. compared to other Mormonism, their strictness in having their children be reared up the way that the church probably wants definitely seems lacking. Right. Before we keep going on to some other religious stuff that happens in some next episodes, there was a couple things that were really interesting, especially now seeing in season 18. Like Cody said, I married my soulmate when I married Mary. Yes. How about that? For all of you that have caught up to season 18 and what's going on in season 17 and everything. In case you forgot, in case you forgot, because I know for all of you who watched it as it went along, season three was a very long time ago, but in case you forgot, Cody did call Mary his soulmate, and obviously just in season 18, he was calling Robin his soulmate, so that broke my heart a little bit. Right, and now in season 18, are we, do we need to say spoiler alert? Plug your ears <laughs> if you haven't seen it yet, season 18, but now he wants nothing to do with Mary. Yeah, and he called, well, in the last episode we watched, he called Robin his soulmate. And now, now Robin So it felt like a repeat. We were like, well, what did you just say? That was a different wife than what you said before. Okay, that's fine. It's all good. We'll just keep moving on. I mean, I guess, technically speaking, a polygamous man that actually treats all of his wives equally, maybe he would want to refer to them all as soulmates. Yeah, I don't know. It's but, interesting. But he didn't. He, he referred to Mary as his soulmate. When they met, he knew that she was his soulmate and that they would live happily ever after. So that yeah. was very interesting. Yeah, he gave a little bit of snippets on each wife. And I was just wanted to remind everyone, for those of you who forgot what it was like in season three. So soulmate with Mary. Janelle had a strong devotion to the family, making him work it out with Mary, making him wake, work it out with other people. A strong devotion. Whereas in now in season 18... He keeps saying that she's not loyal and she doesn't have the devotion anymore. And I'm like, from the very beginning, he said that Janelle was the one that had devotion to the family. And he said, Christine and I are having a hard time, but just check back because we'll definitely work it out. We'll work it out. We'll right. work it out. How about that? <laughs> How about that, right? And so I just wanted to do kind of like a check back on season three for those of you who have forgotten that that's what it used to be like because it was a long time ago. But... Going into more when Cody and his whole family go back to Level, Wyoming. Oh, yes. To visit his hometown. And visit his best friend who he became estranged with 
after leaving the LDS church. This is interesting. <clears throat> so his friend, they served missions about the same time, right? Yep, they were friends in high school. Friends in high school. They both served a mission, LDS mission for two years, returned from their missions, and that's where everything changed. And that's when Cody, Cody's parents were excommunicated. And as I said that, just so people know what excommunicated mean, excommunicated is when the church tells you that you are no longer a member and they take your records off of the church. And that happens for reasons when they don't basically think that you're worthy to be able to be considered a member or they want that separation. The church wants it, wants separation from you and your choices. So certain sexual sins can cause for excommunication. Uh, normally it has to be very serious, like abuse, things that go against the covenants that you've made, particularly if you go against temple covenants, right. like after having gone through the temple, which missionaries have gone through the temple, people who are married have gone through the temple. And then a huge one to be excommunicated for is polygamy. Yeah, polygamy and or teaching false doctrine, as they would call it. Yes. So if you, if you identify as an LDS worthy member and you're going around teaching things to other people like polygamy, that they no longer stand behind and haven't for years at this point, that will quickly get you excommunicated because they don't want their name associated with you as you are teaching what they would consider false doctrine. Yeah, and I would love to know in the comments if anybody else out there has that same type of thing within their own church or congregation because I think it's kind of a little bit unique, this idea of like the church denouncing you I know a lot of people that were raised Catholic and even if they're not active Catholic now or they go to a different congregation, they go to a different Christian church, they would never in a million years think that the Catholic church would send them a notice. And excommunication is a big deal too in the LDS in the fact that like you have to go to a disciplinary council, you have to be disciplined, and then you're told whether or not the church is going to allow you to be a member anymore. But I've never heard that within like, like I said, Catholicism just as an example. I've never had like my friends be worried that the Catholic church was going to send them a notice and be like, we now know that you go to this different Christian church. Therefore you are no longer a member. You are no longer on our records. Mm -hmm. I don't know how the record keeping is in other places, but leave in the comments. If anybody else has excommunication as a part of their, yeah. Their church or ministry. I'm very curious. I'm about sure that. there are some out there. Uh, obviously, there was in the FLDS, but once again, that ties all into the, to the Mormonism behind it all. And and so, yeah, I'm very curious to know as well if Christian or otherwise, if there are other people that deal with the same type of thing where they can actually receive a notice that they are no longer welcome if they don't follow the rules. Yep. Shortly after getting back from Cody's mission, he converted to this religion to the AUB and he said he was kind of naive about how people would react and Ken obviously reacted I don't want to say poorly but he definitely they became estranged over these years and so Cody was hoping to go back it obviously very much seemed like the producers wanted him to be there were awkward situations right like they're being forced he said even though Cody said that him and Ken had been doing work together for years now and things had been a little bit better. The idea of like, let's go and hash out these old things from forever ago. Let's get you in a big group. It felt very much like the producers wanted something for the show to kind of paint the picture of what Cody was like back then and how it was for all the people. Yeah, I don't know. It uh, seemed a little forced, but it, it did end up with some interesting conversations. Right. And... To, for Cody to say that he was naive in what was going to happen when he 
came back from an LDS mission and then joined the All Red group or the AUB, I, I'm surprised that he didn't know exactly what was going to happen, right? He was raised in the LDS church. He served a mission. It's very clear that polygamy is not at all welcome. So I don't know what else he expected. I'll just say that. <laughs> yeah. A, yeah. <laughs> Maybe he assumed that people would... The, they wouldn't react because they were good enough friends or something. I don't know, but but uh, I wasn't surprised to see what happened happen just the way it did. Yeah, and Ken kind of talks about when he's talking one on one. He said part of the town shock was the fact that they were proselyting, like they were talking about their polygamy. And Cody had a very good point because I was kind of laughing that the town's feeling upset about the fact that they're proselyting when he was Ken was talking about having just come back from an LDS mission and I'm like so you're going and proselyting around the world for two years mm -hmm. about the LDS faith but when somebody tries to talk about polygamy then it's wrong and when they were in the small group of friends <clears throat> somebody did kind of call out Ken for that because he was talking about that he's like oh you know well it's one thing like I think the town would be really upset um, if you were proselyting, like you being you, like we can accept that and that's fine. We can move past that. And, but if you were coming into our town and trying to teach people up about polygamy, we'd have a problem. And one of the women was like, you served a mission. What is the difference between you spreading your faith and them spreading their faith? And Ken's answer was like, <laughs> it shocked me and it also didn't shock me. So his answer was that taking his LDS beliefs and twisting them slightly and then convincing him that polygamy is okay is much more dangerous to his faith than someone from a completely different religion coming in and trying to convert him. He said, if a Catholic tried to come and convert me, like, and I converted, that's one thing. But if they're going to come and they're going to twist my faith and convince me that my doctrine teaches polygamy, then that's more dangerous. <sighs> Yeah, I don't, I don't think that Ken realizes, I mean, I, I see what he's saying, that their beliefs are so similar. Their, their doctrine, as far as the scriptures they read, everything, the, the original prophets of the church were, are the same, so very, very similar. And so I kind of understand what he's saying, that it's, it's so close, but just slightly twisted, that makes me nervous that you could convince me of it. But I agree with the wives because they said in the interview after, they're like, how strong is your faith in your religion if you think that somebody could, exactly. could if you could be that easily convinced, then how strong is your faith in that? Or do you need convincing? Right. Like, if you're that worried about it, and Ken said at one point, he said, yeah, at the time when it happened, I knew that there was doctrinal reasons why you chose polygamy, and I honestly didn't want to hear it. Mm -hmm. And that's so frustrating to hear because... It's true, a lot of LDS people don't want to hear about polygamy or they don't want to look into the roots of their own history in polygamy because they have this scared mentality of like, well then what if I believe it or I gain a testimony of it? And I agree with the women that then how strong is your testimony? If it can never be challenged in any way, then you probably need to ha work on your faith and you need to have a stronger faith in the religion that you have if someone can come along and just so easily manipulate you out of it right? or convince you or twist it. Um, yeah. And they are similar. They are. And a lot of people have a hard time. I was recently talking with a friend in Southern Utah and they said, oh yeah, someone I went to high school with recently converted from being LDS, decided that they needed to be fundamental 
and took on a second wife. And, you know, and they're probably starting to look for more wives. So it happens. There's a reason why there's 30,000 polygamists in Utah. Yep. And why they fundamentally have the same doctrine. It's not even surprising, honestly, if you think about it. I mean, the fact that we call them the fundamentals, right? The fundamentalists, yeah. That, that just means that we're going back to before things changed. We're going back to before the church changed. It seems pretty likely there's going to be a lot of people that feel that maybe some changes weren't right and that things needed to be the way they originally were when it was promised that the church was restored on the earth as God intended it to be. And that is exactly the way I was raised in the FLDS, that this is the truth, this is the way it was restored, this is the way it is to be believed and lived. I'm not a part of the FLDS anymore. I'm not trying to convince anyone of anything here. I'm just saying I understand why people would, in some cases, want to go back to the fundamentals. And you see within the mainstream LDS church that every time that the church starts becoming more modern or more like society or makes any progressive changes, then there are breakoffs because people that don't like those changes and feel like, okay, that's going too mainstream or it's going too much with society. I mean, the LDS church, Mormonism at its root is a restorationalist church. Right. They believe that truths were restored. And so, yeah, they look back and you go back to the fundamentals and you end up in polygamy and it happens quite frequently. Like right. I said, there's a reason why there's 30,000 polygamists that have shot off from Mormonism. Yes. So, yeah, and it's so interesting because it seems not always, but in a lot of cases that we hear about, it's actually the women, the wife that feels that she needs to do this because this is the only way, because this is what God wants. And so in some cases, it's the wife convincing the husband that I don't feel like I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do unless we live this celestial law or the law of polygamy. Yeah. So very interesting. A lot of people probably think that it's always the man trying to push the wife into doing it. But, and that's, honestly kind of what I believed uh, you know outside of the FLDS because that's all completely arranged and all completely done by the leader of the church but outside of that I assumed it was probably the the man looking for another wife yeah and sometimes it's the other way around the other way around yeah. um, one last thing that I wanted to say that Ken mentioned and I think it's important to just kind of get in the mind of why does it matter to other people? Because one of Cody's friends in that circle said, well, at the end of the day, like, does it matter to anybody else? It doesn't matter to anyone else. You should live your life. And it doesn't matter. And Ken actually said, no, well, it does matter to other people. And I feel like it's a really common LDS way of, of viewing things. And he said, because if you care about him and he makes a decision that will eternally affect him, it still hurts us. If we care about him, we care about his eternity. And that is just that right there. That quote speaks so much to how a lot of LDS people feel about anybody leaving the LDS church. I mean, in this case, it's talking about Cody, but even when we left the LDS church, it's that same thing. It's their sense of concern for your eternity. Yep. You know, if they love you, people want you. If you love someone, you want them to get to heaven, right? And if you love somebody and you're caring about their eternal salvation and you think that they are then jeopardizing it, mm -hmm. he's like, yeah, I could just say that I don't care if Cody goes to hell, but I do care if Cody goes to hell. And within Mormonism, it's a very straight and narrow way. Right. There's only one way. Leaving the LDS church is much more harmful than if you were never a part of it. Okay. So 
knowing in their minds, like knowing the truth, the, the full truth, and you leave and you've been in the Mormon church or in the mainstream LDS church, they don't call you apostates, <laughs> which sounds so harsh. In the FLDS they do oh, because yeah. that's actually the term for you. If you leave the LDS church, you knew the truth, you left it, you're an apostate. You are way worse off in the next life being an apostate, having known the truth and saying that you don't believe it anymore than what any person going around this world that never knows the truth is going to have right. on the other side. So I think more than just, oh, they're not going to go to heaven with us or live in the celestial kingdom with us. They're more concerned about us too because they don't know what's going to happen to us, but they know it's going to be bad. Right. Right. Yeah. So it's like an extra level of concern. Like there's concern for everybody else. When you're a missionary, you're like, oh, I want everyone to return back to God, but they all have a second chance. But those who leave the church, their concerns a notch up because technically they don't believe that they're going to have that same second chance in the next life. Right. Yeah. It'll be worse for us. And this goes for the FLDS as well. Like my parents look at me now and think that it's going to be worse for me because I knew it. I had it all. And then I rejected it. And so that is in their mind, like it's mocking God. It is, it is accepting and then rejecting. rejecting. And so the only option is in the FLDS is eternal torture and damnation for that person that would dare do such a thing. Yeah. It's very, very serious. And that's why it is such a hard thing to ever uh, leave and then even more difficult if you do choose to leave. And that's the reason you're not welcome back because you've made that choice. We don't want your influence, your spirit, your whatever. Uh, we don't want it around. You're not welcome. Right. And it's, it's, it's a big deal. It's a very big deal. Yeah. So I was speaking for the FLDS there. Yeah. It's very different in the mainstream LDS church. Yeah. They don't go around saying that the people who have left are going to go to hell, but they're definitely worried for eternal salvation. They definitely feel like we're giving up eternal families and the celestial kingdom by, by not being a member of the church or having known it and then leaving it for sure. So yeah. it's definitely very hard. And like I said, it's so easy to say, okay, well, it doesn't matter what they believe because beliefs are so personal. So it should be allowed to be personal for me. But we just wanted to give some insight on why it is so hard for families and why it is so hard for friends when you leave the LDS faith. And that's rooted in the LDS belief yeah. system as well. Yeah. So very interesting conversations they had in Cody's hometown. Yeah. And, you know, it was a little harsh. They definitely didn't seem all that accepting of him and his wives. Uh, no. And how much of that was kind of forced because the producers wanted those conversations? We don't know. No one will ever know, <laughs> but except for the producers. But either way, the fact that they were sharing the feelings they had and the feelings were very against Cody's decisions and beliefs definitely, definitely goes to show that it was a, a big step in Cody's life to make that change from the LDS church to a different uh fundamental church. Yep. On the flip side of it, a couple episodes later, they have their friends, Andy and Nicole come from the AB and come and visit them, which yeah. was so great for them. They were talking about how good it felt to be around people who are like-minded and that they could be open with about their feelings, beliefs. And Andy and Nicole were really talking a lot with them because they had been married, even though they um, believe in polygamy and they said it over and over and over. We believe in polygamy hundred percent. We have testimonies of it. We have testimonies of it. They have six kids together and Andy was like, 
how do I court somebody and find another wife while still being respectful to the wife I have now? So he's kind of asking Cody's advice. And, you know, when they were at dinner all together and they were asking, you know, all of Cody's wives were saying like, oh, why do you want polygamy, Nicole? And what do you think the advantages are? And they all felt like, okay, Nicole is not ready for this because the only answer that she had was basically, well, I believe that's what God wants me to do. Right. But the idea of it itself, she's like, I can't imagine not sleeping next to my husband every night. I can't imagine my kids time being split up and him not seeing them. So she's recognizing all of these real world consequences to polygamy. But at the end of the day, she's like, but I, but I know, and I have a testimony that it's true and I'm supposed to do it. And at one point, Mary says, I understand Annie's point of view because people ask me, if you didn't have to do this, would you? And my answer is probably not. She goes, it's because I believe it will bring me closer to God. That's why I do it because it's hard. And Andy kept saying that, like, it's about trusting in God, that that's the next step that I'm supposed to be doing. And so that's why, but he was like, this sounds really hard. And you could tell they were both just like not wanting to, the practicality of it was not there for them. They did not want to have to separate. He goes, I can't imagine courting and having my wife be at home alone in our bed while I'm with a different woman. He goes, how do you manage that? So it's interesting seeing his perspective because a lot of times, and they had mentioned this at the, uh, when they went to the colleges and stuff, like people will think, oh, these guys just want to be sexual and have as many women as possible, you know, and that's all they're looking for. And there's more situations like this where it's not about that. It's because they believe so fully that they are supposed to right. and that it's supposed to be a challenge and it's supposed to be hard and you're supposed to be moving past jealousy and past the natural man and woman of, of wanting to cling on to only one person. It's supposed to make you grow and all these things. And that's actually their motivation. Yeah. And I can definitely relate here. Not too long after I left the FLDS church and still today, sometimes I'll get comments where someone will jokingly say, I can't believe that you left the opportunity to have multiple women. Right. Uh, like people will say that. Yeah. People will say that. And I look back when I was there and actually believing in the FLDS church, the idea of having multiple women was never a desire. Like, a, you know, like it was never a desire of mine. It was always because if I had more, that meant God was happy with me. That meant that I was being righteous enough and I was being blessed. I remember at a very young age thinking, oh man, I cannot wait to get married because that means that God is watching and he knows how righteous I am and I am worthy for a wife. It was never, I mean, of course there are thoughts to come into a teenager's mind, don't get me wrong, but ultimately it was never about the sexual aspect of it. It was about being worthy worthy before God and being blessed with the blessings that were promised. And especially within the FLDS because they have arranged marriages, you know, within the AUB, like um, their friend Andy was saying, you know, how do I, when you see a cute girl, you just kind of like look down and yeah, everyone notices cute girls, but you're married. How do you open that up to allowing yourself to those thoughts in the FLDS where it's arranged? It's literally looked at as, you're worthy. You're doing a good job. Here is your gift. Another wife. Yeah. 
you are doing well, you are doing a good job, God is blessing you as another wife, boom. So in the FLDS, I can imagine it even more being that sense of duty. Right. And I can't, I feel like it'd be almost so much harder for men in the AUB, any good man who isn't doing it for sexual gratification, but is doing it because of a sense of that they have to, that would be so much harder to navigate those emotions, I feel like, rather than the sense of, I'm worthy, I'm good, here's a wife. Exactly. I yeah. really don't, I don't envy them, well, no, I, I would never want to play yeah, me to begin with, but I don't envy the men who are good men trying to do it purely in the name of, because they think God wants them right. to. Right. Yeah, that would be, that would be definitely, oh man, I can't even imagine. Because, and I believe Andy is in this similar situation where, and Nicole, where they don't really want it. Yeah. Right? No. They don't want it. it. They're happy. They have their kids. They have their life. Most of the viewers out there today are probably thinking the same thing. I would never want such a thing. But imagine believing so strongly that even though it's the last thing you want, you feel like you need to, like you have to in order to be uh, okay in the eyes of God. Like, I don't know. That's just a very hard thing to try to understand from the outside. But it really, it's, it's true, it's, especially when you're raised that way. Cody wasn't raised that way. So I'm not really sure where his mindset is, but for those that are raised and brought up in that belief, it's very strong to break that idea of the necessity of it. Well, I think they talked about Cody and Mary kind of being on this um, spiritual journey together, mm-hmm. that he was still LDS when Mary met him, and Mary wasn't sure if she was going to live the principle of plural marriage or not, and they kind of had decided together that that's the way they wanted to go spiritually. So it does seem like both Cody and Mary's decision, it was a doctrinal decision still. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what it seems like. It didn't seem like he was... There was something Mary said, though, that got me thinking, and I don't know if she meant it the way it came across, but she said... I didn't really want, I'm paraphrasing here, I didn't really want it, but I thought, oh, you know, he's he's such a cute guy that even if I have to put up with polygamy, I still want him. Yikes. I just have to say, yikes. Yikes. You know, if that's the reasoning behind it, and I know she was kind of joking a little bit, but... But the other wives were like, oh, we're great. She's saying it for a reason, right? She's had those thoughts. Cody converted you. Right. Yeah. So that's uh, interesting. Andy and Nicole were in a Sunday school lesson um, one Sunday with the Browns. And one quick note, it was interesting that they were singing hymns and they used the LDS hymn book, which the FLDS also, it it was green. It was green. Which is the modern hymn book. Using the false one. The FLDS used the old (laughs) hymn book that used to be I was raised on the brown one. Yep. The brown, the brown family, brown book. <laughs> the brown hymn book. Uh, the brown hymn book. So that's the one that we were used before, because because the green one came later, and there were additional songs added. I believe some songs taken out. There were some changes made, yeah. and we were trying to stick true to the old one. The LDS Church right now, I believe, is redoing their hymn book completely. Oh. And so pretty soon you'll be able to tell how old we are by the fact that we even know the green and brown ones. But that's beside the point. Um, Cody talks about Warren Jeffs in that. Yes. And he said, you know, we're uncomfortable talking about Warren Jeffs because he's evil. And it makes us uncomfortable even being associated or anyone thinking that we're anything like them. He talked about in this Sunday school lesson, so we'll go here and then we'll, I know where your head's headed, but he talks about Noah Ben Zenith in the Book of Mormon and Warren Jeffs and how the people stopped Noah Ben Zenith from his evil. And I've never heard this before, so I was like, oh my gosh, we have to talk about this. He said, 
Warren should have been stopped by his own people because all that's necessary for the prosperity of evil is for good men to do nothing. Yes. Well, what did that make you? How did so that make you feel? Babe? Honestly, when he was talking about this, it made me a little angry. And let me explain why. Because he, well, obviously I was raised in the FLDS church. And when he says, I disagree about, I disagree with Warren. He's this awful guy. He belongs in prison. Okay. Right. I'm with you there, Cody. But then when he goes to talk about things about the members and how they don't want to be associated or people think that they are a part of the FLDS and that the, and he kind of paints the FLDS as a whole in this awful light. That's where I have to draw the line because yes, Warren was doing these awful things, but the people, the FLDS people believe in the exact same things that Cody believes in and they are simply trying to live the best life they can, right? And there were men that tried to stand up against Warren Jeffs. There were. There were men that tried. They failed. They tried again. They failed. Guess what? There were more people that believed in Warren Jeffs that had a strong testimony that didn't believe or know that he was doing these awful things we know about now. He was keeping a lot of things secret from us. But in a meeting, he was talking as if he was talking for God. And we believed him. We believed he was a man of God. We didn't know that he was doing some of these things. And for some of the men and women that did see some of these things and tried to stand up against him, because he had so many followers, they just, they were kicked out. There wasn't enough people at one time to overthrow him. So for those that tried, they were just forced out of the community. They were no longer accepted by Warren, no longer accepted by the church, and no longer accepted by their families because their families still believed in Warren Jeffs at the time. So to try to say, oh, that the people should I can't believe it. that the people didn't stop Warren Jeffs. You know, it just, it made me angry. I'd like to have a little powwow with Cody about that comment. Yeah. And there were other groups of men too that said clear at the beginning when Warren took power that were like, we don't believe he's a prophet. That's Centennial Park. Mm -hmm. Like there's a whole other break. Well, Centennial Park was long before Warren Jess. Sorry, before Warren Jess. But mm -hmm. my point is anytime that there has been a group of people that don't agree, there's the core hub that do. And then there's these breakoffs, right? And there's more and more breakoffs and you see that happen as well. So it's not this idea that these people the people who know, even we recently talked with a child of Warren Jeffs, even now, I mean, it's how many years later, so many years later, like over 10 years later. And there are still people who don't know what he was in there for or what he did at all that follow him. Yeah. So it's not them trying to stand aside and let evil happen. A lot of it is they don't even know. And Warren Jeffs child that we had talked to said specifically that as soon as they found out, what their father had done and they knew that what that this person was telling the truth they left right you know so it's not this idea of good men are standing aside and letting warren be evil yeah it's not like we were around our homes talking about the things warren was doing and whether or not we agree with these awful things no no we weren't aware of it most of the adults and the fathers and the mothers weren't aware of it right it was very few people that even knew what was actually going on what we knew of was 
what we saw in the general meetings, what we heard in his sermons that would condemn the things that he was doing. That's why when we find out that he did some of these things, he was teaching very, very strongly against the things that he was doing. So we would have never in a million years assumed that he was actually doing some of these things that for those reasons, some people tried to stand up against him. Yeah, and I also want to point out some of the other things that people would consider evil, like underage marriages. When you're raised to believe that that's not bad, you're going to believe that that's not bad. So there's things that are just pure evil, that the sexual assault on children and things like that, that when, you know, even Warren just own family hears and they find out that that happened, they leave. Mm -hmm. Okay, there's things like that that are just absolutely, he was preaching against, you find out it happened, they leave. Then there's other things like marrying someone underage or marrying a 14-year-old girl. If you've been raised your whole life that that's okay, and that doctrinally it's okay because the fundamental prophets of the church also married underage girls. Right. Warren was not the first one to do that. He was not the first one to do it. And clear back to Joseph Smith himself, married underage girls. And so if your founding prophet does that, it sets a precedence to where well, for the last 200 years, it hasn't mattered that that happened. So why does it matter now? That's a whole other we're thing. We're not comparing Warren Jeff and Joseph Smith here, by the way. That's, oh, sorry. We're no, not, I'm we're just, not oh, sorry. We're not comparing them. We're just saying there was precedent. Some of the things he did that the outside world would say is very wrong. We, knowing those things, didn't think they were. But it was the other things that uh, he was doing that were behind closed doors. The awful things that he's in prison for that, that we weren't aware of. Exactly. I hope, yeah. 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 <laughs> Sorry, I just want to, yeah, I'm glad you clarified that. I'm just saying... I know some, that some people may have that too, but... Yeah, and some things people will look at as evil are other things that within the church, if you're raised that way your whole life, you're not even going to view that as wrong to begin with, and so it's nothing to be stood up against. Right. As I'm trying to say. So... Exactly. exactly. And um, it was funny... They were talking, and this kind of goes along with it. I think it was Janelle. They were talking about just the different rules and stuff for their kids and this and that. And as they're going to Boston and, and having these experiences, being on a panel, they said every religion has rules to bring them closer to God. And if that's what you're raised in, those are going to be the rules that you're used to following. Mm -hmm. And again, that goes back to FLDS. It goes with the, um, the AUB, with LDS, everyone, right? And... I guess on the last note, I will say that it is interesting that the same way they feel like they want to be so separate from the FLDS is the same way that the LDS wants to be separated from the Browns. Right. Right. And so everyone wants to be separated from things that they see as being night and day differences. To them, they're like, we are nothing like the FLDS. And they point out the way that they look. Mm-hmm. Right. They point out, like, they point out a couple of main differences. Oh, we don't have underage brides. We don't wear prairie dresses. We don't wear hair like that. Almost everything else to the fundamental beliefs are pretty dang similar. I, well, profit, I guess, would be also a very big one, right? Their leader's different. But I'm just saying the things the that they're... Beliefs. But the core beliefs are the same. Mm -hmm. But it is so different in their minds where the outside world looks at the FLDS and the AUB and they're like, they may dress different, but they're the same because they practice polygamy. Right. Right? And then within mainstream Mormonism, we're like... No, they you be those browns are nothing like us. They're nothing like us because look at them. They practice polygamy, and the rest of the world's looking and they're like, yeah, but they have all the same beliefs as you, mm -hmm. except for polygamy, right. right? So it is just funny that when you're in something and you don't approve of a different group, you want to try to create as much separation as humanly possible. 
And in the reality, most outsiders are looking and they're grouping people together based on beliefs and they're looking at how there's way more similarities than there are differences. Yeah. I like, I don't remember who said it, but I believe someone said, I don't remember if it was one of the wives or Cody, uh, but one of them said something along the lines of, it's easy to be angry about something you don't understand. Yeah. And, and when they said that, I said, yes, exactly, Senor Brown. And that's why you're so <laughs> angry at the FLDS. It, it came across in some ways that he wasn't only angry at Warren Jeffs, but that he was angry at the FLDS people. And that's where I was kind of frustrated. And, and I was like, yes, exactly. That is why so many people are so angry about the FLDS because, and that's where I try to help people understand that it wasn't the FLDS, it was Warren Jeffs. That's what was going on. And yes, I do know that leaders before Warren Jeffs were also doing some things that I would not approve of. But before Warren, things were nothing like they became once he took over, and they just got a lot worse. So anyway, as far as the people though, a lot of the people at least, most of the FLDS people were trying to live the best life they could. I'd take me for example, I thought I had the truth. I thought I had the only truth. That's what I was raised with. That's what my parents taught me. That's what the leaders of the church taught me. I was simply trying to live the best I could until I realized that it wasn't for me. But most of the FLDS people are still doing that. And so when the Browns would be almost disgusted in compare, that someone would compare the two as something similar, you know, that's where it was, I don't know. When really, they are very, 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 very similar when it comes to the belief, the core beliefs they have, the doctrine, the scriptures they read, and all of that. Yeah. Also, one last thing. Sorry, I mean, I'll get off You my... just didn't know that I was in St. George and I had the truth. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But one last thing is I do have to be understanding here that during the time that the Browns were talking about this, this was during the same time that Warren Jeffs was being convicted for all of the awful things that he had done. So I think one of the points they were trying to make to the world is we're, we, not we're not Warren. We're not doing the things Warren is doing. We're not him. And they wanted to be very upfront and serious that, about it so that the world would know that that was not the same, that they're not as, I guess, more importantly, that they are not doing what Warren was doing. And so I think that's probably why they became so open about their feelings towards the FLDS. So I do have to be understanding when it comes to that. And that might have been a little reason why they were under investigation when they came out because let's be real, most of Utah, and it's no longer a felony anymore to practice polygamy, but a lot of the times that they, a lot of the reasoning behind them making the laws against polygamy were to fight against the secondary crimes. It was to fight against the child abuse, the underage brides, um, the tax fraud, the food stamp fraud, a lot of the things that the FLDS were doing. So it's completely understandable that in this time period, the Browns do not want to be associated with ever, all these secondary crimes, right? They're coming out to the world saying, we're living a polygamous lifestyle, we're a happy, healthy family, our kids are taken care of, all this stuff, it can be done. And then at the same time, the news and the media of Warren Jeffs, and it's slowly coming out all the horrible things that he's done, all these secondary crimes, even that the whole community was doing under the guise of him, because there were things that they might have not have even understood were wrong, like not paying their taxes, they were told by Warren Jess not to do that, right? To grab food stamps and go give it all to the church. There were things like that that were a community yeah. whole thing that were happening, that were these yeah. secondary crimes that the Browns were not 
a part of. Right. Yes, and I so I understand a hundred percent why they would want to make clear that they are not Warren Jeffs. That's that's for sure. And I already pointed out my frustrations about comparing them to the FLDS people, so we won't get into more into that. Uh, and then I guess really it ended with the the season kind of ended with the birth of Solomon. Yeah. So they it started it started with pregnancy announcement. Pregnancy announcement. Everyone yay. Almost everyone yay. And then <laughs> it gets to the end and uh, the birth of Solomon. Most people yay. Almost everyone yay for that. <laughs> and it, it was interesting hearing some of the perspectives of the older children. That we already have too many kids. <laughs> didn't seem too excited about it. So anyway, but... It seemed like Mary was very, very excited about it. Yeah, and then the fact that Robin was offering to be a surrogate for Mary. That's true. We'll see what comes of that. I mean, mm. we already kind of know a little bit, but it is... At this point, again, I know we are an unpopular opinion with this, but I still don't see Robin as a villain yet. I know that there are things that we don't see because Christine throughout all of season three had basically seemed... Completely kind, excited for Robin, all of this. And then at the end of season three, she's like, the last year I haven't been a good sister wife. I haven't been kind to Robin. I have not been inviting and welcoming. It's been my own issues, and I want to try to resolve that and tell her that I'm sorry, right? right. So obviously there was a lot that we didn't see because nothing in the filming showed Christine as being awful or unkind to Robin. Right. But Christine admits that that did she happen. She admits it. And Christine, throughout the season and other seasons, she only talks kindly about Robin. Yeah, whenever she's mad, she's always like, oh, it's not really Robin's fault, it's Cody's fault. Right. <laughs> you do have to be understanding as well that Christine is dealing with postpartum depression or uh, some, some kind of issues after having her child, and then Robin comes in as the new wife and then is having a child. Like, I can understand why there would be some issues and that she wouldn't feel as loved as maybe she would like to feel because of the situation. And so, she was the last wife and you, she isn't anymore. Exactly. So you can't blame Christine for not being kind to Robin, in my opinion. I feel like that's probably a pretty natural thing. Well, I think kindness is still something you can always try to expect, but her feelings, I think, are definitely valid. All the feelings right. she was feeling and right. all the different emotions she was having. Um, yeah, like I said, we didn't really see her be unkind, but... Hopefully, we'll see what season four has to hold as far as, like, resolving that and whether everyone kind of made it out to be, like, Solomon's going to be this baby that, like, brings the family together. They looked at land of all living closer together. So, we'll see if that kind of comes in season four, which we yeah. are excited to see, but... Well, they, they went and saw this piece of land that's all on this cul-de-sac... Has anyone else heard about the cul-de-sac? The cul-de-sac. We'll Us see. moving to Vegas, we had heard of like a cul-de-sac. So well, We don't know much about it, to be honest, because they haven't talked about a whole lot about Vegas in season 18 that we've been reviewing. And all we know so far is that they were in these separate houses, which was another big point of the season, is Cody's really trying hard to get the family closer together. And it's it would be awful going to all those houses. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he was running around to so many different places, different homes, trying to find one piece of clothing here, another piece of clothing there. And awful. So that I can see that would be very difficult and frustrating for sure. So. Yeah. But if you want to hear more about what it was like for Sam to grow up in polygamy or more of our takes on our fresh eyes on sister wives or other reactions where we can compare and contrast the LDS, the FLDS, and in this case, the AB, then please like and subscribe. Yes. Thank you all so much for being with us again. And we look forward to talking with you soon. Talk to y'all soon.